To access everything Autish for all your Autish needs, please access autish.card.co, card spelled as C-A-R-R-D. This provides my blog, podcast, YouTube and social media. Hello and welcome to the Autish Podcast. Today we're going to have a special episode about older autistic representation. Our guest today is Melanie, or Autistic Grandma. She provides a blog on Facebook and provides various pictures and advice and stories about her points of view of being autistic. She also has autistic children as well, so she's an autistic parent, and she will be discussing more stories about that soon. I think it's great to show more older representation of autistic people, especially those who are late diagnosed, myself included. I am now 30 years old, so I am considered old to the youngins, so <laughs> my experience is valid as others, but I hope it's just as useful. On with the next segment of this podcast. question is, um, what were your experiences growing up as an autistic child, regardless of diagnosis? It was very hard. Born in 1970, and there were there were no such thing as, as I mean, nobody knew an autistic person back then. If kids were developmentally delayed or had issues, they would shuffle them off to um, live somewhere else they would let them let the state have them number one so you didn't get to see many and um, the ones that were known of there were men or boys and so there was no such thing as an autistic girl and so my mother was um, actually diagnosed late in life she was an abused person she has a lot had a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress issues and so she decided that I was demon possessed oh, no. <laughs> and she got involved in a kind of a bad religion and started dragging me around to churches to try to get the demons cast out of me. Oof. It was kind of a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's, that's rough. Yeah. I'm sure there's lots of, of autistic people who could say the same thing though. I don't think I'm, I don't think my story's special. I think it's common. Yeah, um, mine's is, uh, I'm pretty lucky in that regard that I, my experiences, I didn't get um, pushed into religion. It was the opposite. It was more do what you want, but at the same time, some families had their own traditions and they wanted me to follow those traditions. And I'm just like, no, because I didn't fit in. So, and in the end, I'm glad I didn't. So. course you didn't fit in (laughs) you know (laughs) we were born to stand out and in in some cases you know I think that that and especially now in 2020 I'm starting to see parents opening up to that you know not letting your children run amok in the streets but uh, letting them make some choices and about their path in life their education their interests and that was unheard of in the 70s you were supposed to be quiet and I was not. You were supposed to be obedient and I was not. (laughs) (laughs) I was absolutely not. And so the religious thing just kind of blew up in my mom's face 
and I moved out when I was 18. Yeah. As soon as I, the day I turned 18, I moved out. And it was a roller coaster ride through life ever since. And I still at that, you know, until I was much, much later, I did not know that there was a name for what was going on with me. I was still torn between believing that I was broken and maybe possibly under the influence of uh, dark spirits. You know, <laughs> when you're told that when you're a child, you know, you, it takes a while to pull that out of your head and, and let it go. And so, yeah, it was really rough. I spent a lot of time uh, reading encyclopedias because we didn't have computers. Mm. A lot of time climbing trees and I was a tomboy, which didn't settle well with anyone either. I wasn't a girly girl, fish and dig in the dirt and swim in ponds and run barefoot through the woods. And I was a kind of a hellion, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my family would tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they would say. They called me hemorrhoid. Because oh. I was a pain in the ass. Oh. That, was, that was my nickname. <laughs> that's, that, that's harsh. <laughs> it was, yeah. Wow. It was. But you sound like a, like a good kid. You just wanted to have fun and be yourself. And I know uh, back then, even up to the 90s, it was rough as well. Um, for me, it's like any odd behaviour you've seen as strange or a weirdo or some word other word and it's just this just sucks and it, and it takes ages for you to realize what you did wasn't a bad thing and it's kind of sucks <laughs> and it's sad because if you would just people would just support their children when they're young they wouldn't have to go through this oh i trying to find themselves they could find themselves before they turn 18 and move out of your house that's my big thing on autistic grandma is i try to support autistics and I do share a lot about for parents, mm -hmm. neurotypical parents. You know, I'm open to everyone, but a lot of what I share is is uh, healing for autistics who've been through a lifetime of trauma. Yeah, trying to figure out this world and uh, learn to love themselves and follow their their desires. Yeah, I mean, when you're told your whole life everything you think and do is wrong, it takes decades to get over that. Totally, yeah. and the sooner the better. The sooner the better. Yeah. You don't want to be 50 and just trying to, you know, at 50 now, I'm starting to feel good about myself. Mm. And no one should have to wait that long. Yeah. But that's a fantastic thing you're doing for uh, autistic grandma um, is healing. And I think that's overlooked a lot when it comes to those who are on the spectrum, especially adults, especially those who have like childhood, rough childhoods or childhoods, they've endured a lot of abuse from family members and not knowing what's wrong with them. And then in the adulthood, all the scars they've had in the past, it still hits them now. And I have a few of those myself and it affects my decision making and confidence. And But now I'm, I've actually understand it a lot more, but I still have my tough days. When did you start realising that you may be autistic? I think it started when I, I I'd say I dropped out of high school because I just couldn't deal with it. My mom had me in a private Christian school. And as soon as I turned 16, I dropped out. Mm. And then at 25, I went back and got my GED and I scored high, so high that I could go to college. I was accepted at Indiana University. And my whole family is kind of wacky. You know, it's not just my mom. It's, I have um, twin sisters who are on the spectrum, my brother, 
um, numerous, numerous family members. And so it kind of just started out as a journey to try to figure out what was going on in my family and my family tree and in myself. Yeah. And then I started having children and I have four autistic children. Oh. And so it all comes into focus once you start seeing these behaviors that you're, that you had that were treated as some sort of curse and you see them in your children. And it was like an epiphany. Like this is what's been going on. This was, it, I wasn't bad. I was autistic. Yeah. Even realizing that it still took decades to, to wrap my mind around what that meant for me and allow myself the healing that I deserved. I mean, we all deserve to heal from, especially from things that, not things that we've done to ourselves, things that other people have done to us. Yeah. It's like, that doesn't even belong to you. That's somebody else's bull crap. It was uh, actually a wonderful thing to, to realize it's, it's, I'm just me. It's not that I'm broken. I'm just who I am. Yeah. So it was around the time, around the time my um, oldest son was diagnosed, he was so obvious. It was an obvious He's obviously autistic. I gave birth to him and they handed him to me and I look him in the face and I'm like, is there something going on with him? What do you mean? You know, what do you mean? It's like, well, he, he's not looking at me. <laughs> he's not making eye contact with me from birth. I knew. Yeah. Right. And so by the time it's time for him to start eating rice cereal, I take him in because he's, uh, I take him into the doctor because every time I put the rice cereal against his lips, he throws up. Uh, before it even gets in his mouth hmm. and so the our nurse practitioner told me that he's probably autistic hmm. who else in your family who, you know who else is there others is there women and that was a big one because back in the 70s and 80s women would be diagnosed as bipolar yeah instead of a diagnosis of autism and so i'm telling my doctor mom my mom was diagnosed as bipolar my sister's mom numerous members of my mom's family and on my dad's side and she's like they probably weren't bipolar they're probably not bipolar and here we are today with two more children or i have four children total so i have one more i have my six-year-old now and he is wild here we are living our best autistic life ah that's great (laughs) i noticed that's been a reoccurring thing for uh, autistic parents that have autistic children especially those who are late diagnosed they don't know their diagnosis until they see it in their children and they're like hold on (laughs) hold on a minute yeah (laughs) right it's like yeah i used to bang my head i would get frustrated as a child and i would beat my head against the wall I mean, it hasn't even been that long since I've done that. I mean, I've done that in recent years. Yeah. Where the frustration level mm. peaks and I'm just like a kaboom. I just think it's nice to see one generation and the next autistic generation and things are slowly getting better in terms of recognising diagnosis is not just uh, boys, but also girls and also slowly other races as well. And so just uh, the Western view, which is... Needs also needs work on, but it's it's a slow process. Oh, it's still it's it's got a long way to go because uh, people of color are not being diagnosed. No, Those, especially the boys, they are not getting the proper uh, supports. 
because they're just being ignored and it's it's got to change. It's sad because um, even though we're slowly getting aware of it, they're still not doing anything and they're just like, oh, they're just being weird. It's like, no, they have the same symptoms. R race has nothing yeah. to do with it. Why are you no. pushing them aside? They need the support as much as we do. It's like we've finally got more women's support. We should focus also on people of colour and it's just, I don't understand why they're not getting the support and it drives me up the wall because I feel, it's oh, it's just so sad how mistreated autistic adults of colour as well, they, how mistreated they get and it's just so painful to witness. Yes, it is. And, and the only way we're going to change that is to be open and honest about what it's like to be autistic. I think there is still a huge stigma. I see it all the time. People who hate autistic people, yeah. hate, hate. They want to remove us from the gene pool. They yeah. want to erase it like it's some kind of horrible disease. Even as autistic adults are standing there going, wait a minute, there's more. <laughs> it's not really all that bad. It's kind of nice, actually. I like who I am. Oh, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about because you're autistic. And they literally, people literally uh, silence us because they don't think we even understand our own selves. Yeah. And we can't be trusted to tell our own story. It's, it's uh, frightening. It is. And then they're too busy listening to misinformation and outdated information. And it's like, look, they've changed the way things get diagnosed. But they turn a blind eye and just go the old way and go, oh, it's high functioning. No, it's low functioning. No, it's like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> and I know, I know. And what is that going to do to someone? Okay, you're high functioning. You better function. You better function because you're high functioning. That's pressure no one needs. Uh, and you're low functioning. And so you, you, I don't expect anything out of you. I mean, either way, you can't, we can't keep doing that because no. it, it's, it's abusive. It it's is. abusive and uh, complete lack of understanding of... That's why I write what I write. I want people to hear what's going on inside my brain. I am the same. I like to write my experiences. Um, yeah. um, and if other people relate, that's great. But I want it just to sh show awareness that this is another person speaking their voice. Funny thing about uh, functioning labels, um, in my old photography project in 2018, Autistic Ways Agenda, I did use high and low functioning, but it was for examples. It wasn't like, oh, this is the right terms of labels. It's more of, um, we'll use them as examples. Um, right. And not everyone, not, and it's not preferred. And I, I tried so hard to, to explain that. And this was before, just before I made Autish. <laughs> well, and how do you explain what, you know, is going on inside your mind. I mean, really, how do you explain that to people? Mm. And uh, that was the one thing that college gave me. I mean, I never actually got to, I was 18 credit hours shy of my bachelor's oh. and I had to drop out because uh, my son needed to come home yeah. and stay home from school. I started homeschooling, but they taught me how to put my words on paper and I, I will never regret spending that money. It was, it was money well spent. <laughs> $150,000 student loan debt that can make memes, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if it wasn't for my university projects, I wouldn't have made Autish. And I didn't start doing aut autism-related projects till 2016 because I got late diagnosed in 2015, age 25. 
So I made a project about women in the spectrum in 2016, which is my my photography YouTube. And I also then I made autistic ways of gender when I did the masters after my bachelor's, um, took a year break. Uh, autistic ways of gender. That's when I did more autism stuff, but I wanted LGBT related things as well. And then that's when I realised I love doing autistic research and I love to look into the community and I met quite a few of the people from the community like uh, Kieran Rose and Autistic Not Weird and Yen Barkas, people like that and they helped me with the information I needed and the, finding the right people and that's how Autish came to be is because of the love of making those projects and realising that there's something about the autistic community that's great to look into and also just see my own story. Yeah, it helps you flesh out who you are mm. to talk to others. I feel that. I, it's nice to have so many people that you can relate to because I never really had that as a child either. Um, I had my dad. He was like a science geek, kind of a, you know, with horn rim glasses and pocket protector back in the 70s. Yeah. So we had each other. And um, but this community is, is just full of bright people willing to share the truth. Yeah. And not care what people think. I mean, you just can't, if you're trying to share your truth, you can't go around worrying what other people are going to think of what you say. Yeah. You just have to say it. Yeah. And hopefully there are people listening. And I think there are people listening. Yeah. I hope so too, because I do know there is definitely autistic allies, neurodiverse, neurodiversity allies out there who just want to help us, help children just to be our best selves and learn what this world is all about and how to find coping skills and mechanisms so we can survive in this world. <laughs> yes. And it takes a lot of patience and availability. Mm. I mean, for me, I literally just dropped everything. I quit work and quit college and just stayed home and played on the floor with my kid Yeah, for years, years and years. And now I'm doing it with my six-year-old. That's It's my duty as a parent to do what I'm doing at home and it's my duty as an autistic adult to share what I know because we're old us autistic elders are we're not going to be here forever no and myself I have uh, stage two metastatic breast cancer oh I'm so with sorry. one lymph node involved well I mean here I am three years later I went and did the I did a bilateral mastectomy and uh, with no reconstruction I just wanted to get in and out as fast as I could. Yeah. I'm taking hormone suppressors hmm. because it was a hormone driven cancer. Uh. And I'm, you know, in, in a couple of years, this is going to come back. Right. It, it already moved. You know what I'm saying? If hmm. it was just in my breast, I would have been fine, but it moved to one of my lymph nodes. Oh, no. Well, and that's, you know, everybody has to die. <laughs> so, but the, one of the curses of being alive is you are going to die sooner or later. Yeah, I, I do like how your mind's prepared in some way because it makes it soften the blow. I, I try and do that with some things that are considered scary or bad. Yeah, you have to do what's best for now. Yeah, yeah they wanted me to do a lumpectomy and reconstruction they're gonna do reconstruction on my good breast right because mm -hmm. i had a good breast according to them and i'm like no i just want them both cut off yeah and they're like no 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 no, you don't you'll never be able to look at yourself in the mirror again i'm like you don't really know me i don't look in the mirror to begin with because i'm almost blind <laughs> <laughs> i don't wear makeup i'm not trying to look pretty i'm trying to survive yeah 
to raise these kids. And so if I chose the bilateral, I didn't have to do chemo and radiation. Right. Because at that point, there was no breast tissue left. Mm -hmm. So what is there to radiate? And so it took me months to talk my surgeon into doing it. And if finally he agreed after his nurse practitioner came in and asked me, why do you want to do this? You don't have to do this. Like, well, I have three autistic children at home right now that need me. And they don't need me with my hair falling out puking. They need me to be as healthy as I can possibly be as soon as I possibly can be healthy. Yeah. And so that there was no doubt. I mean, immediately that's, that was my first thought is just cut them off. Yeah. Let's get on with it. Yeah. And I don't know regrets because I'm healthy and here I am. Yeah. Three years later. No reoccurrences yet. Keeping my fingers crossed. I have a, an oncologist appointment on Monday, but it's probably just going to be, do you need more prescriptions for your hormone blockers? Bye. See you in six months. That's <laughs> yeah. usually what happens. Yeah. So. Now, speaking of your children, is there any stories that you could tell anything autistic related about your children? Lots of them. Actually, I could go with my um, 17-year-old son. I had to pull him out of school. I had to. Hmm. He hated it. Yeah. He was being bullied by his teachers. Um, he was nonverbal at the time. They believed he was non-communicative, but that was not true because he would come home and tell me these things, you know. Mm-hmm. He was traumatized. Hmm. And at the same time, in seventh grade, he was being traumatized in a whole different way. They were being made fun of. And so I pulled them both out at the same time, mm-hmm. actually. And I allowed them to go into their bedrooms and just go into a cocoon for months. They just sat in the dark room decompressing. Yeah. And I didn't pressure, no pressure to do anything except brush your, please brush your teeth and here's some food. You know what I mean? Hmm. And they came out of that learning to learn. It was, I was afraid that they were, with their experiences at school, it would destroy their desire to learn. And uh, it didn't. And these kids are brilliant now. I mean, I have no regrets doing the things I did with them. That's that's great to hear. Um, especially a lot of kids don't um, handle well with school, so homeschooling is good to be good to be encouraged. Um, for myself, I've been in and out of school throughout my life. I had I've been homeschooled. I went back to school. I got uh, to high school. Left high school early. Got tutored um, instead of homeschooled that time, and eventually went to college. I feel like. College slash university is a better experience than school. School was just absolutely school was just absolute garbage, except for English, music, <laughs> art. Well, yeah, but it, the whole social structure of it, the dr- it's like a drone factory, and if you don't fit into the drone factory, you're kicked out as a, you know, defective. Here's a defective. I didn't have many friends at, at school, um, and a lot of people were just horrible or a pain in the arse. The other best thing about school, well, high school at the time when I attended, was like the food. <laughs> it's like, who cares about all these classes except for the ones that I like and these people? Oh, what's for lunch? <laughs> Get like unhealthy right? things like pizza at the time. <laughs> Right, right. Well, my uh, seventeen, my now seventeen-year-old, he couldn't handle. He was he has just big sensory processing. I mean, it is huge. His his 
like he can taste everything. He has a taste aversion and smell aversions and all kinds of aversions. Just going into the lunchroom made him gag. Yeah. And they would try to force him to go in there because it was an inclusive classroom. It's inclusive, so you have to do what everyone else is doing. Well, that's not really what inclusion's about. Indeed. Inclusion is is you can be included if you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a choice to it. Not, so there's lots of little stories like that. Just getting to know each one of them. I mean, I've got four of them. So each one of them has, has different different support needs. And just figuring that out and using my empathy to figure that out was big milestones for me. Because for a long time, I think I shot, shot my empathy down. I had to because my mother was so incredibly abusive. Mm. I didn't want to feel her, you know? yeah. The minute they put the first baby in my arms, that was it. It all melted away. <laughs> like, oh God, look at this little empty shell. It's like you've been reborn. It's like the new, the new era of your life and this little one looking up in you. It's just like, oh, wow. This is a sort of something new. <laughs> I am going to give this one exactly what I didn't get. Yeah. You know, that understanding and support. And if I, you know, and I believe if I, if I were not, autistic myself I wouldn't have been able to do that hmm. just because of the trauma I went through yeah uh, those big feelings I let them come alive again and instead of it being big feelings of anger and big feelings of hate it was love I just let my love continue to flow even though I wasn't given the proper love when I was a kid I think maybe because of I just never shut that off Maybe I thought I did and I didn't. But that's fantastic to hear that something positive is brought through your life and then also pass on to your children. It's just it's just wholesome to hear. It, it, it just makes me smile inside as an observer. So. <laughs> well, thank you. And finally, any other comments? I think that especially neurotypical parents need to try to support the need to stem. It's not just fun and games. It's not fiddling. It's important for me, at least for me. It helps me keep my brain straight. It helps me think clearly. When my hands are busy doing something, it's like my brain will slow down and I can think and not be bombarded with every little detail of every little OCD nightmare that I could conjure. But it's definitely great for um, neutralizing the brain. Because sometimes if you feel overstimulated, you need to especially ones like flapping, it helps you release the excess energy. And that's one of the examples I say about a lot when it comes to stimming. Even though there's totally different types, um, you, I usually talk about the more tries to keep yourself neutral. Um, also, sometimes when I talk to people and I need to do something or my brain will just go, I'm not going to focus on them talking. So I have my, maybe my phone just mindlessly scrolling, but I'm, even though I'm not looking yeah. at them, I'm still listening to them unless I'm watching a YouTube video or something on my phone, then I'm right. paying attention. Right. <laughs> but I need I need that secondary thing to keep my hands busy. Even if I'm not looking at the screen, I can just mindlessly drag, 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 or use a fidget cube or something. But I'm still listening to them, but, even if I'm not directly looking at them. And that helps to neutralise everything, and but still keeping attention. And they need to be able to recognise that before they have a meltdown. And yeah. I, I know that's hard to do. And some, you know, I we have meltdowns in my house. Mm -hmm. I have meltdowns. My kids have meltdowns. But minimising them can be done. And it's individual. Like with my six-year-old, he loves to go outside and ride his scooter. 
Yeah. Well, he gets overheated. And every single member of my family, if we get overheated, we will have a meltdown. Yeah. And I have to recognize that. I'm teaching him to recognize that. Oh, boy, you're sweating. You need a drink. We need to get in the shade for just a few minutes. And then if the meltdown happens, I go, now, see, you were getting sweaty. This isn't, you weren't really angry. You, you had an emotional reaction to being overheated. Yeah. And he's six years old, but you know what? He understands. Yeah. And it takes, it doesn't, it's not, then at that point, you're not saying you're being bad. No, that's not it. They're not being bad. They're having a real reaction to how they feel. And it's a, I mean, I try to explain that to neurotypical parents. It's like, what would it take for you to throw yourself on the ground and scream and bang your head? Mm. Like what, your whole family dies in a fiery car crash? Imagine how that would feel. Mm. Okay. And now look at your kid and realize they are feeling that. And maybe it doesn't make sense to you, but you have to empathize with that and, and, and support that. And the hope is that through the support, they will learn self regulation skills. I mean, there is not probably one six-year-old in this town who can self-regulate. <laughs> you know, it's something that children are not born with. It's their tools yeah. that we learn. Oh, yeah, totally. I agree with that. Definitely something that takes a long while to, or even to understand. It's like, why am I feeling like this? And then years later, you look back and go, oh, that was a meltdown. It wasn't being a brat. It was just more of a, the reaction to what that overwhelming surges and it's just like oh it's over the most over the most over the most random of, of things as well oh yeah yeah just too many people talking at once coming oh, the oh, voices I... coming from different directions into your head yeah i mean i've walked out of many a public place because i was overwhelmed by the noise trying to hear every single person in the room you know it's i can't it doesn't just turn into white noise for me i hear it yeah you know i hear every voice I try to listen to every conversation. It's just overwhelming. And you have to recognize in your kids and they are not going to be able to tell you because they're little. I mean, just recently he realized and I taught him that what hunger pains were. Mm. He did not understand that that feeling in his stomach means it's time to eat. Yeah. And so I would, I've been making regular meals like, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks at a certain time. And I explained to him, now you're, that feeling you're feeling in your stomach it means you're hungry. So sit down and eat and you'll feel better when you're done. And then we talk about it. Don't you feel better now? That feeling you were feeling is hunger. And you don't, you know what I mean? You wouldn't think that you have to explain that to mm -hmm. a, a child. You, you would think that they would know that, but you know, with their <laughs> kids. And they don't, they don't know, yeah. they don't know. <laughs> Not all kids understand what certain pains are and people just expect them all to know everything on the get-go and that's not how it works. Yeah, they're not. Babies are born with empty brains. They're just empty. They're like sponges. Mm. And so they, they, they're soaking up information. You just have to be on top of what information they're, they're soaking up. Yeah. Help, help them and support them to learn yeah and support their sensory needs yeah and before we close up and uh, where can we find you on social media well i have a blog on facebook called autistic grandma and then i have an instagram and i just kind of dump my memes in it's like a meme depository but i'm on there once in a while and um if anybody co comments i i try to get on there and 
and talk with them. But mostly I do most of my stuff on Facebook. Aye. I'm, I'm the same, although I'll be more floating on Instagram because it's a lot easier on my phone and it should transfer to Facebook, but sometimes Instagram doesn't like that. <laughs> but hey, yeah. what can you do? <laughs> I'm totally clueless with that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm 50 and I have a Android phone. <laughs> you know hey, what I mean? Android. I'm not techie. <laughs> I'm not techie. But I try. Yay. You can do better than a lot of people my age. Yeah. Even though I'm a techie person, there's some things out there that the next generation all have, and I'm just like, what's that? What oh no, that? I'm starting to get yeah. clueless. Oh no! <laughs> now I'm, know, I'm feeling like, old. It's uh, like, I'm currently 30, so I'm like, oh no, it's catching up to me now. <laughs> oh, my, my kids would tell you you're old. Yes, they, they would. would. <laughs> um, no, you're old. I still, I still feel like my 20s. I, <clears throat> or my early 20s, at least. Because I, I, we always feel younger than we actually are and it's just a weird thing it's like I had a bit of a crisis when I first reached for going oh no new era new time oh, I'm getting older <laughs> but I now know. I'm trying I'm trying to wrap my head around it it's just time just keeps going forward and forward and forward and forward and it scares me a bit to be honest but I'm trying to not wait till you wake up and you're 15 wait till you wake up and you're 50 because I still feel like I'm 12 yeah like inside my head I'll like my kids will be out playing. I'm like, they'll be trying to do cartwheels, and I'm like, oh, I could do it. No, I cannot do a cartwheel. I'll break my arm. Yeah, I'm <laughs> slowly have, getting that on my body. Density. It's like I can't do that as much now. Oh no. Because <laughs> like. No, I pulled a I pulled a muscle the other day trying to uh, prune my garden. Oh no. In my leg, oh. just squatting down. I've been squatting my whole life. Just, you know, like the squat when you're working on something. Yeah, yeah. No, I can't squat anymore. Oh. My squatting days are over. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to expect that when I'm older because I, I squat a lot. <laughs> or I use my oh, toes. squatting's great. I also, well, my toes all the time as well, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not no more for me. Yeah. Thank you very much for participating in this podcast. It was great having you here. Well, thank you for inviting me and it was really great talking to you. No worries. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Autish Podcast. If you like more accessibility, feel free to read the transcripts at autish.wordpress.com. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for future episodes. This is Onikage from Autish, signing out.